You're listening to the Asking for a Friend podcast, an elder-led ministry of Believer's Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and knowledge of God's people. My name is Tyler Jones. I'm your host. Thanks for listening in, whoever you may be and wherever you may be. May the Lord bless this podcast to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth. On the podcast today is Jason Rowland. He's a senior pastor and one of our elders here at Believers Baptist and another of our elders, Philip Castleton. Real quick before we get started, we wanted to make sure that you guys knew. uh, If you have been listening, you probably know this. So we're just going to kind of reiterate that we would like uh, reviews, five-star reviews preferably. Are Uh, you sure there's anybody listening? Because has anybody been reviewing? (laughs) You know, I haven't checked on it. That would be a question for Jared probably. Yeah. Um, But... Because if not, it might inform, you know, the next sermon series we need to do. (laughs) (laughs) Tides, offerings, and reviews. Right. (laughs) Rather than your money today, we want reviews. Yes. Everybody pull your phone out right now and look at your neighbor and say, I'm giving them five stars. Well, we've had, um, I think we've had the, the, the... Three people that listen to the podcast have reviewed it. Oh, so. okay. Well, all those three need to review it again. Yeah, there's a way. See, here's what we tell them on my podcast is, you know, if you review, so we do like giveaways sometimes for reviews, and um, we would say, you know, if you've already reviewed, uh, you can enter again by grabbing your mom's iPhone or your wife's iPhone yeah. and start putting reviews from their Apple accounts, you know, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> uh, you get more you get more uh, chances in the drawing, so... Um, but yeah, so there are ways to help us out with reviews, but uh, we wouldn't want you to be dishonest in any way. Um, so if it's not a five star in your opinion, then uh, you'll have to live with that So uh, and decide what it is. But we do prefer that we would get five star reviews and you can comment uh, if you want. Tell us what you'd like to hear about. Um, you can also do that through our email at the website as well. Let us know what you if you have a question or something that you'd like us to discuss. So speaking of things that we're going to discuss, um, this is not a question this month. If you remember, we're not answering questions, but we're talking about the most misused and misunderstood or misapplied stories within the Bible. So Jason, with that, let's talk about the woman caught in adultery in John. So as you said, Tyler, this is um, an anniversary (laughs) edition of... um, Asking for a friend podcast for this month of October 2020, and we are taking stories that are misunderstood, misapplied commonly uh, from the scripture. And this is actually the only story that we're taking from the New Testament. So we've taken David and Goliath previously, we've done Gideon and this fleece, and later on. And you know what's really interesting about that story is that we didn't know was that the Mennonites. We're actually a part of that story, yes. which we found out. If you go yeah. back and listen. Yeah. Oh, mercy. Have to go up to Max Martin and ask him about it sometime. Yeah. yeah. They also make great yeah. furniture. <laughs> well, Gideon is one of their great friends. Yes. You did not know that, did you? <laughs> but we're in the New Testament. We're talking about the commonly misapplied, misunderstood story of Jesus call, um, talking to, confronting the woman caught in adultery. And... I'll just read the text because this is a um, relatively short text that we can actually read it for word, word for word, and then we can make comment on it. This is John chapter 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, 
they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Now, it is true that this particular text is not found in some of the earlier manuscripts of the Gospel of John. But it's been kept in most Bibles, and probably in your copy of Scripture, it would be bracketed in some way. It would be marked out as being not found in the earliest manuscripts. Most scholars, theologians keep it in the text as being original um, because of the the spirit of it because of the way that Jesus handles the situation. And and so it is as it is. We trust that the Holy Spirit has inspired God's Word and put this into a place that we can uh, understand Jesus and His ministry more fully, more clearly. It's an interesting story in that this woman apparently is caught in the very act at that very moment Mm -hmm. and brought before Jesus. Others would have been no doubt around Jesus. So it's not just a few people that would have seen her. Perhaps she's wrapped in bed sheets. Uh, Perhaps she's not even clothed at all. I mean, she's caught in the act, Mm -hmm. which all the, by the way, brings up the hypocrisy of those who are bringing this charge against this woman before Jesus because the Old Testament law was man or woman caught in the act of adultery would be stoned. Mm-hmm. The man's not brought in here, just the woman. Right. Because, again, what the people who are testing Jesus want to do is put Jesus in a bind. Either Jesus will not follow the law of Moses or he would say, let's condemn this woman to death, which would have been against the law of Rome, because Israel, being under the occupation of Rome, had no right to um, do to um, carry out the death penalty. So that's why I remember that the Jewish authorities, the Jewish leaders, had to bring Jesus to the Romans to crucify him because they couldn't kill him themselves. Mm. That's what they're doing here. They're trying to catch Jesus. And either way, Jesus is in a trap in their mind. They think he's either going to um, put himself in opposition to the Jewish people or he's going to put himself in opposition to the Roman authorities. And so they bring this woman, throw her at the feet of Jesus and bring these charges against her, which are true. It is a true charge. He was caught, no doubt, in the very act. 
And now Jesus is put to the test. So before we go on with the rest of the story, let's ask ourselves, why do what is the common misunderstanding or misapplication of this story? Uh, yeah, probably uh, that Jesus didn't come to condemn. He, he loves you as you are. Um, he, if he didn't condemn her, he won't condemn me. And uh, uh, that would be, right. I think, the, probably the, the most confusion about this text. Right. See, I'm a sinner. I, see, all of us are sinners. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody makes bad choices. See, I've sinned. But look what Jesus said. Mm-hmm. He says, I don't condemn you. And, and there's some truth in that. Well, yeah. What they, they tend to forget that, um, you know, just a little bit before this, in chapter 3, you know, it says that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but the world was already condemned, right? He right. just says this just a few chapters before in chapter 3, right. that the world is already condemned because they don't believe, and that he didn't need to condemn the world because they condemned themselves through right. unbelief and through loving their sin and hating the light and refusing to come to the truth. And I mean, this is the context of John three seventeen all the way through the end of the chapter. This is what's being uh, expounded upon. Right. Uh, and um, this is this is John uh, explaining the 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 transaction that just happened between Jesus and Nicodemus, right? right? And um, and he says that they're already condemned. So when you get to this, what Jesus didn't condemn, well, it wasn't, he didn't come the first time to condemn, but to save. He comes the second time. He's coming back again, right? And he does for what? To condemn. Damn judge, yes. Yeah. So they, they, people who like to go there uh, right. have already removed themselves from the context of John. Right. And now it is true, and we have to take this into consideration, that... Uh, those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation, Romans 8.1. Yeah. But, but my, my contention is they don't read the whole verse. Mm-hmm. Because if you paid attention as I read, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So he confronts her sin. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to condemn you in the way that they are trying to force me con- to mm-hmm. uh, commend, um, condemn. to condemn you right now. I am going to show mercy. I'm going to show grace. Um, but in that mercy, that grace. Now, don't go sin no more. Yeah, his sin is 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 uh, contingent here. I mean, his his lack of condemnation. Is as prefiguring repentance, right? Yes, yes. So um, the mystery part of this text is that Jesus writes on the ground. The only time that we have recorded in all of Scripture that Jesus wrote anything, we are not told what he wrote. And there's been a lot of speculation as to what it might have been. Um, but he listed out the sins of those who were accusing this woman. Um, he was writing down the names of those men who had been 
um, guilty of the same sin that this woman was. Well, you know, that's interesting because um, you go back to the Old Testament and look at the law there. First of all, the, they, the woman in adultery, uh, the person who brings the accusation is the person who has to throw the stone, begin, right. begin the stoning yes, in right. the country. So whoever brings her out and makes the accusation has to be the one, but they can't be guilty of this in themselves. Right. 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 So um, who knows really what he's writing, but we do know that nobody actually picks up a stone. Right. You know, Why? Who knows? But yeah, or at least nobody throws a stone. They may have well, picked well, one yeah, up. But that's what I mean. They yeah. don't throw them. That's what right, I mean. Right, they don't right. actually cast them. Right. But it would be incumbent upon the person making the accusation to 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 be the one who casts the first stone, and then the nation, you know, standing there with them, would join in and 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 finish the execution. Right. So, um, what we need to understand is that this is not a story to excuse our sin. This is not given to us by the gospel writer, John, so that we might in 2020, in the 21st century, read the text and say, oh, well, that then absolves me from my sin. I can now find a reason to go ahead or continue in my sin. And so we don't want to misapply the text in that way. We want to take the text as it is in that, yes, God is gracious. God shows mercy towards sinners. The Lord Jesus was willing to, in this case, show mercy to this woman. Um, But if one who has shown mercy continues in sin, that is intentional, unrepentant sin, if they continue in that, they they reveal that they don't know anything about mercy. Which actually is the very next uh, verse in, in verse 12. Jesus says to them, saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Right. Th- their life won't be marked by a, a continuation in their sin. Right. Uh, that, that goes to First John, you know, it makes the same argument. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in Christ, you claim to walk in the light. As Christ walks in the light, your life's, your, your life's not going to be marked by a continual walking in darkness. These two things can't coincide, right? Right. You can't ha- claim to have a fellowship with the light and yet be walking in darkness. And I think that would be the argument you're making here, right? right. If, you're, if your life is, is marked by a continuation of sin, then you don't know forgiveness. Right. And too often we just had this um, very weak, very minimal, even selfish view of God in that He loves me regardless of these sins that I have in my life that I have chosen and I continue in and I willfully uh, desire and uh, continue in unrepentance in doing these things. But God loves me. And, And I'm afraid that... We've taken some truth and we've mixed it with some errors so that now we have a way to excuse and justify what we want to do. Yeah, I'm going to make, I'm, I do this a lot. I make people mad. So I'm going to say something that's probably going to make people mad. But I would, I would challenge them um, to, to go to the scripture and, and prove that, that what I'm saying is wrong. And, and I'm happy to take that for you to, if you, if you can prove me wrong, show me, please. The scripture doesn't articulate that God loves like that. Right. Okay. Um, we, we, I think, with a misreading of a couple of verses, read an unconditional love 
of all mankind into God. But our acceptance with God is predicated on Christ always. We are accepted in, in the beloved, right, because of who Christ is. Because of what he's done, because of his atoning work, even in John three sixteen, the statement about God loving the world has has a result. He loved so much that he sent his son to procure and satisfy and bring to the end of their salvation those who would believe. So even then, it has an object. This love has an object, which works itself out in the salvation of God's people. So we don't look at Scripture and say, you know, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan. Well, I would never tell someone that God doesn't love them, but I I don't know that I would ever say God does love them. That's not what we're told to tell people. Mm-hmm. We're not. Uh, you don't see that a single time in the New Testament that um, one of the apostles uh, start with "God loves you." So you wouldn't start an evangelistic gospel presentation with "God loves you." No, it's not. It's not done in Scripture. Right. Right. In fact, the only time that we ever see that written in the New Testament is always in the context of believers. Mm-hmm. Paul, you know, uh, all these, uh, John, uh, you know, as we read the New Testament Gospels, as we read the letters, the epistles, as we read this stuff, what we see is it's always written in the context of God's people. In the Old Testament, it's written in the context of His covenant people, and in the New Testament, it's written in the context of the church. This is the how it's communicated, and so this idea that God loves me and will accept me the way I am is not a biblical idea. Mm-hmm. God, according to Scripture, is in active judgment on every single human being alive that is in rebellion to him, that is not in Christ. Romans 1 says as much, right? right. Um, Psalm 5, Psalm 7. Psalm 7 says he is angry with the sinner every day, right? Right. That uh, he ab- uh, abhors the bloodthirsty and the you know he he's Ephesians two says we're dead in our trespasses and sin, and that we are sons of disobedience, living in the passions of our flesh. That we are children of wrath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So th- this this concept that we, that God loves people unconditionally is flat out false. Okay. First of all, He loves people conditioned upon. Okay their um, being in Christ. We are made accepted. We are made uh, accepted because of Christ. That's the testimony of, of, the, of, of Scripture. So, uh, yeah, I think that that's the, I think that's the misunderstanding here, right? Uh, ultimately, is that we think that God comes to his lost creation and, um, and just has some kind of emotional need you know, for them, right. that he would just take them in, uh, regardless of their sin, regardless of their um, their attitude toward him, right. and um, and he would, um, you know, well, and this is a misunderstanding uh, of the purpose of the cross in general. Uh, you know, we many people think that the cross. Uh, watch American Gospel and watch some of the, the second one in Christ and Christ alone, uh, that one, or Christ crucified, whatever it's called, the second one that came out. They have. Um, they have liberal uh, theologians and so forth, and they're pitting. And, and the one 
guy, he's not denying the death, maybe even the resurrection of Christ, but what he says is it can't be a substitutionary work, actually meant to procure salvation for a people. It has to be an act of love and the ultimate example. Well, if that's what it is, it saves nobody. Right. If, if, that's, what the, if that's what the intent of the atonement was, was to be an example of how much God loved every single human being, it actually doesn't do anything to deal with your sin. Right. You know, the, the, the fact that the, the atoning work was substitutionary not only therefore means it actually accomplishes something in the way of dealing with sin, but that means that there is an objective group of people for whom something was accomplished. Right. And, um, and that's the people uh, that, that we can say definitively that God has acted in love toward. Right. Um, at least the way that most people understand God right. love. So, and this speaks to uh, the deceitfulness of sin. It, it speaks loud and clear that our sin um, is so deceitful that we are uh, so darkened in our understanding, so depraved in our, our mind, um, so um, far away from God. That we that we believe that our sin is less than what it really is. We we believe that it is less than an, a horrendous affront, offensive to a holy God. Right. Uh, we tend to grade it. We tend to diminish it. We we tend to blame others. We tend to accuse the circumstances or the environment. Mm-hmm. We we have all kinds of defense mechanisms against understanding. Um, that our sin is a heinous, rebellious treason against holy God. Right. And um, so in our failure to do that, we come to texts like John 8 mm-hmm. and read this story and say, well, see, I'm not that bad. Yeah, and God, he, he's just so merciful to sinners. Well, that's absolutely true. Yes. He absolutely is. But if if that, by extension, means that God loves me unconditionally and he's not going to judge me, then you have misunderstood everything that is being put forth in this text. Right. And that's being put forth in the totality of Scripture. If our entire theology is, is, is contingent upon uh, verse 11 of John chapter 8, we don't understand God. Right. At all. Right. We don't understand his holiness like you've just been talking about. We don't understand his justice. We don't understand our own, uh, not only our own proclivity but to sin, but our own, um, not just a proclivity, our own, it, 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 we're just tainted in every way. We are, we're stained. Right. To such a degree that the only thing that can make us clean is the blood of Christ. Right. And I'm thankful that it does. It, it absolutely. It, it changes our desires. It changes our passions. It changes our actions, our attitudes, our thoughts. And so that's what makes the gospel so important to share, so important to preach. And it's a transformative work. You become a new creature in Christ. Absolutely. And so we're thankful for mercy. Though our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Yeah, and w- and one more thing I want to say, just as um, only because there's going to be somebody who listens to this, but go, that says, but you didn't talk about, and you didn't mention, and well, I am not saying that God doesn't love all people. That's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying though is that the way that God loves all people in a general sense is the fact that he he has he's done good by them. 
Right. right. He offers them kindness. They get to know the love of a mother and the cool breeze and the rain on their crops. And right. They get to feed their family. I mean, in that way, God has loved all people. Right. We're talking about a specific way in which God loves and actually works out getting past their sin. Right. 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 And bringing them past their sin and repentance. Yeah. And that particular type of love is it has a, a particular object. And that is though he doesn't look past this woman's sin. We would hope that what, what he's saying to her is and when he says go and sin no more, he's granting her repentance and belief. Right. That's what we that's what we think that probably is going on here. And so in a real sense, um, the application of his blood that's going to be shed. Um, you know, in a short amount of time is going to take her, uh, right. you know, deal with her sin. So he is actually just and the justifier. Yes. As Romans, Romans says. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, thankful for mercy. Thankful that God's uh, love is everlasting, that his mercies never fail. And God help us to go and sin no more. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Asking for a Friend podcast. If what you've heard today has been helpful to you, please subscribe. On behalf of the elders of BBC, I invite you to a worship service at Believer's Baptist Church this coming Sunday. The Bible study hour begins at 9.15 and the worship service begins at 10.30. Grace and peace.